Hello everyone, welcome to Struggle Session. I am Leslie Lee III. Today, folks, we're talking about the Tokyo Olympics 202X, I think, officially, because they were supposed to be in 2020, right? And allegedly, they are happening in just a few weeks, even though uh, Tokyo just ended a COVID lockdown. Allegedly, they're taking place in a few weeks. Hopefully, hopefully not. Uh, 202X may, may be delayed, but whenever they're supposed to be ha happening, I have two guests here today that hopefully, hopefully uh, we'll be able to stop it. Johnny Coleman and Molly from No Olympics. Thank you so much for joining us today. What's up? Thanks for having us on Struggle Session. We are big fans. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I don't know. It's a weird situation because I think, you know, just to cut to the chase on some of it, I'm pretty sure they're going to happen. I'm pretty Looks confident. like they're doing it. Looks like uh, nothing could stop it because um, that's how the IOC contract works. So, but not, you know, and then we're jumping, jumping ahead of ourselves a little bit. So I think we have more opportunities also to talk about it as a, you know, as a pop culture product too, because I think it's kind of fascinating and does things well and does things like actually not that well, the American version of it, I guess, you know, like the American centric, American centric coverage of the Olympics, which this year will probably be like super either, you know, dog shit as far as competition and spectacle like limitations and maybe trying to compensate that on, on the other side. They're just not going to talk about any of the stuff that's happening off screen. But I think uh, people are realizing that it's very dangerous to hold the Olympics right now. We like to say it's bad always. Because the coverage is always the, you know, these stories of these people, you know, overcoming these odds. They grew up in a poor neighbor. They, they grew up displaced. And it turns out, I guess, most of the displacement that's destroying these uh, young athletes' lives that they have to overcome is actually caused by prior Olympics destroying their whole uh, <laughs> city and economy beforehand. So for people who don't know why the Olympics are bad in the first place, please, can you break it down uh, for them? Sure. I'll give you like the, the, the quickie version of it is that Especially in like people, you know, and I think the listenership here and like Gen X and younger have ex experienced just the acceleration of capitalism in general. And like one of those things that is extended to is the Olympics. And, you know, in the 80s, they really got turbocharged with sponsor money and the, you know, the, the, the growth of like telecommunications and cable networks around the planet, like the scale of that on the financial end has just exploded. So the necessity to like develop entire cities and turn them into like whatever the next version of it is, as far as what developers and policing and security interests want is always there. Um, but, you know, like I said, it's been accelerated in the last few decades to like a ridiculous degree where I think we like across other institutions and things, we can see the the seams of the world coming undone. But it's always been like that. You know, it started in the late 1800s, like a French aristocrat, like eugenicist. Yeah, it's basically an offshoot of the World's Fair. Yeah. And, and, and like, and, we, you know, they're doing the, uh, I think the U.S., gymnastics trials today in St. Louis and one of our members grew up in St. Louis 
and in 1904 they had a uh, an Olympics in St. Louis that they tried to retcon out of existence, but it had this thing called the Anthropology Games or the Anthro- Anthropology Days, rather. Um, that's like super fucked up, and um, the whole project has been just like a money and clout grab from the beginning, from like you know rich European, and now you know more you know it's more decentralized than that now, but um, a very, very small amount of people profit off this. And that's kind of the, the core ethos of this is that like, yes, it's a, it's an interesting TV show and spectacle that a lot of the casual, you know, sports fans or pop, you know, people that are in a pop culture tune into every few years, but um, there's so many reasons to hate them. And our, our campaign that we started a few years ago in LA that's built off the work in other cities like Rio and, uh, London and and so on and, and Tokyo and so forth is that the policing and the displacement and like the effects on the poorest people, the, the most marginalized people in a city already that is probably hurting from these issues already um, are the people that are going to get the most fucked. So LA's had it a few times, um, a couple times like Paris, like some other upcoming cities like Tokyo. You know, we've met people in Tokyo that have were displaced in 1964 and are being displaced again um, for the, for this version of it. You know, they're obviously older now. They're, they're elderly now. So the double displacement hits extra hard. So that's the pattern. It's getting more and more acute and more and more like obvious. And it's more and more difficult for the media to like cover it up. So we're in a very interesting phase where people are pissed, but they're going to happen anyway. So like, what does that mean, you know? And we're so we're fighting a bit in LA. That's uh, uh, games that are supposed to happen in seven years now, like to the date, basically. And um, we're trying to mobilize and, you know, get people excited and build power. And we've been doing it for about four years. And uh, I think we've, we've come a long way, but there's also so much, like LA is an extremely fucked up place, as probably people know, and like most big urban, you know, like uh, cities. So it's been a ride and, and, and we were, we were able to not to ramble too far, but uh, we, we were able to go to send about 15 members of the LA kind of, you know, contingent and to, to Tokyo two years ago, like to the date basically, or to a month from now to the date of July, uh, 2019, it was supposed to be one year out from the original date of 2020. And so we had folks from East, you know, Boyle Heights that had fought the galleries here, which is, you know, a a kind of similar spiritual story. We had folks from uh, Ground Game Sage, the Tenants Union. Uh, We all went over the Street Watch LA. We all went over there and kind of met everyone that's been fighting this for like 10 years there. And everything they were saying was the same thing that was happening here. Because whenever you say no Olympics, you always say no Olympics LA. And it makes me think of like Pacific Rim. It's like there's no Olympics LA, there's no Olympics... (laughs) Japan, there's no Olympics, Russia, and all of you have these Jaegers that you're trying to deploy in order to stop yeah, the Olympics. Yeah. It's very similar. And uh, as as you may know, there's also a lot of connections to Akira, um, which takes place around the, the chaos and uh, destruction of the 2020 Olympic Tokyo Games. Um, and then it came true. It came true. Part of the reason why people were so surprised that Tokyo was even taking on 
the Olympic Games. Uh, first of all, like Tokyo doesn't need any more fucking stadiums, right? Like it doesn't need anything else. And that's a, been such a big part of these Olympics bid is like, oh, you get to build yourself a brand new uh, world class soccer stadium. But Tokyo is one of the big, yeah, Tokyo is one of the busiest sports cities in the world. Right. And they don't need tourism. So the other big alleged selling point of the Olympics doesn't make any sense because it's not like people don't know that Tokyo is like a world-class city. And the idea of a world-class city is something that we fight, even though that, you know, we are, these cities now are, quote, on the world stage already, so it's ridiculous. But it's always been kind of this, um, like you said, going back to the 2011 disaster, in 2013 is when it was awarded. They, you know, everyone knows the old Olympic system where you get five or six, you know, host cities slash countries like bidding on a project that has basically been dissolved in the last couple of years, like basically this year and last couple of years with the LA bid. Um, but back in the day, not like eight years ago, Tokyo won that bid and it was um, it had, you know, a lot of support. One of our one of our basic my pet theories is that like any city that gets that far along in the process has like democracy. So comprised uh, compromised and that the fact that it's, it, it's a symptom of like much larger problems with the media and development and police really taking a stranglehold of the city, regardless of what, you know, hemisphere we're in. But the 2013 bid was always positioned as like a recovery games, right? Like, so by the time 2020 rolls around, we Japan would have recovered from this like historically awful disaster. So when we were there in 2019, a year before they were supposed to happen, part of our part of our group went off and traveled to Fukushima. You know, we were invited by folks on the ground there. The majority of them are unhoused or formerly unhoused residents that have been fighting this issue. Their name is Hangar and Nokai, which means, uh, you know, no uh, no Olympics or uh, no thank you. I think. Um, and there's an academic kind of uh, other offshoot that's been fighting this forever. And they invited us over there and that's why we went. And um, those are people we, who are leading the efforts there now. And we have footage from Fukushima. We showed a little bit online, but where, you know, it was very clear by 2019 and 2020, and then now push back to 2021, that it is very much not recovered. You know, this is a mass displacement event. Um, it's obviously, an, a, a, you know, an ecological event. Um, and so many people still have not returned home to the, to this day. Uh, so many parts of that, that region are really decimated, depressed. And, you know, we walked around or our crew walked around with, um, radiation meters and found really high, like, you know, ratings walking around. There's a lot of soil that had been contaminated that was still there in 2019. And, and surprisingly, because of the COVIDness of everything kind of bearing this like more obviously to people is that the mainstream media, at least in America and in the West has kind of rejected this recovery narrative, which is one of the big surprises for me this year is that that has been fully thrown out the window. I think at least most coverage of it is, is skeptical, which means that there's, I think some really organic truth to that. If they, if CNN and ESPN can't deny these things. So um, that was harrowing to go there. We, we've been working on some larger projects like work, you know, we'll show the some of the, the longer form version of what, what we captured there and documented there soon at some point, I think. But um, it's been a nightmare. So in those seven to eight years now, it's been 
recovery effort, right? Like putting resources actually away from recovery in towards the Olympics, which is at least $20 billion over budget, which we think is just an understatement and doesn't include a lot of security and other hidden costs that come with every Olympic bid, which are fictional. So it's, it's been a real big disservice to the residents or former residents of Fukushima because they should be going towards recovery. And this was all before even COVID happened. So it's just like a doubling down of all these, these issues of like diversion of resources and lack of democracy. And just the fact that this is corporately run, you know, one of the big things we learned from 64 is that the private security industry, you know, that whole industrial complex was created out of the 64 Olympics. So all sock, um, and oh, I'm blanking on. Is it Seacom? The the other the other the main the main two sponsors, uh, and they're providing security for the 2020 slash 2021 Olympics. Are were literally created to for the for the last Olympics, which has so many echoes with with LA and like just imagining where those resources and where all this effort could be going otherwise is like, you know, this is a really extreme example and it's really on the nose with the Akira stuff and all this other shit. So I think, I think one of the big questions is how do you harness this? You know, it does seem at least from my uh, friends, just anecdotally and from, you know, polling that people are pretty angry and don't think these Olympics uh, should happen in one part, because like absolutely none of the benefits that are ever promised like uh, even apply to Tokyo and certainly don't apply during COVID because, you know, first thing, tourism. First of all, to Tokyo doesn't need tourism. And if it's going to get tourism, it's not going to get it in the middle of goddamn summer. I always, uh, I've told this story a couple of times. The first time I went to Japan, it was with this guy called George Mayfield, who had flown to Japan like 30 times. He's from uh, Georgia. He's from the South. Cool old black dude, right? He's gone 30 times. And he told me, you know, one time I made the mistake of going to Japan in the summer and I cut my trip uh, early and went home. This is a man from Georgia. That's how hot and humid yeah. Tokyo is. It's completely yeah. bizarre to try to have a summer ga games in Tokyo. I know they have to do the marathon at night, but Tokyo at like... 2 a.m. midnight is like 90 degrees during the summer because it's so humid and that water just retains all that heat right there. It's just absolutely like you can get heat stroke like at night. That That's the thing that the athletes are worried about. Yeah, the summer we were there in 2019, you know, I'm from the south as well. And so I and I, I run hot in general, but I'm from a very humid fucking climate. And L.A. has been getting progressively more humid, unfortunately, in the last few years. When we went there, it was literally July 23rd, 2019. We were there for like, you know, seven days plus or minus on each side. So right when, you know, they would be happening that year or I guess this year, awful, like fucking awful day and night. And that was one of the big narratives in the press as far as the, at least the sports media was like, is this safe to do? And one of the funny things is, is because no, you know, flurry of news about the Olympics is fucking insane to keep up with. But one of the big things in like like late 2019 before COVID became a thing was they were like the two solves they were trying to do was one was a Canadian pharmaceutical company being like, oh, here's a pill we're developing. We're rushing through development to see if we can regulate like marathon runners like body temperature. 
which is ridiculous. I don't think that bore out. And the other one was like, can we do like big fan, um, you know, uh, shooting out artificial ice slash snow or whatever over the athletes to create, you know, to body cool or whatever. And then that didn't bear out. And then later, no one will remember this one, but in Wired covered this in late 2019, they were bragging about, you know, in, you know, could beefing up the surveillance and security narrative. They were like, Hey, Tokyo 2020 is so ahead of the game that they're importing like the nine most hardcore viruses from around the world to like get ahead of that biotech shit, you know, bio terrorism shit. <laughs> and, and again, it's like, these are just things that just pass and, you know, that it's just like the fake, you know, snow they're trying to sell. Uh, and you know, part of our job is collecting these things and reminding them that they said that they boasted about that, even though we don't think that that is the reason, of course, that COVID was out, you know, broke out. But that's one of the hard things is keeping up with these narratives, right? Because it was just a year ago that we were just going through the fact that they were probably burying COVID statistics and having the cruise ship off, you know, and just holding people there and quarantining them there and like. We don't think that's unrelated to the Olympics, you know. I don't think that's super tinfoily to say that that didn't have something to do with that. What is the purpose of the Olympics, really? Like, why do we need to develop drugs to pump into long-distance marathon runners? Are there that many long-distance marathon fans that we need to have this event? And when you point out, when you think about the fact that in this year, there won't be, they were going to think about doing it with no fans. There are going to be limited fans in some capacity, no foreign fans, nobody's coming in. So the tourism isn't there. Is this all just to get the TV footage for the TV deals? Because that's the where most of the money ends up being. Uh, yes, exactly. It's all about money and money for a select few uh, oligarchs. And, you know, obviously a lot of these sports are, un- are not televised normally. So they also just use the fact that like, oh, if you're a long distance running fan, this is the only time you can see long distance running, which is just uh, because of the way sports networks are programmed. Um, there's no reason that we couldn't just have long distance running all the time if we wanted to. Or was, yeah. And I think that that argument used to work better as like, oh, this is the only way you can get this niche sport. And like, this is one of the very few things that will ever concede the Olympics is that they kind of elevated, especially uh, female sports and more obscure sports outside of like, you know, at least Western or American context. And you know, like gymnastics is the big one, you know, and gymnastics is the loaded one. That's the one happening today. But it's also the site of probably the most, you know, overt abuse on so many levels um, for decades and the least amount of accountability. But they're all kind of they all kind of function like that. So I think in 2021, the Olympics and for a long time have just satisfied the casual viewer more than anyone. The person that actually doesn't really give a shit about these sports and will tune in every four years ago, four years and like gets into the hashtag or gets into the moment or gets into the watches it for the commercials, like the Super Bowl thing or whatever, and like kind of creates like the fanfare around it. And that's fine. But like that is not in this like you if you like soccer, if you like uh, curling or whatever, it's like and you have access to the internet or, you know, like a little bit of disposable income, you can probably find a way to like keep up with that sport and you don't need something that's every four years. And in so many ways for the athletes that the every four year structure is like, extremely unfair. If you really want to break it down, even though that's not really like, you know, the nexus of our campaign or like what we focus on a lot, but it's, 
it's the communities that we're really focused on, but they even still on that level of a pop culture product, especially before in the last 15 years when networks in America have struggled with how to like cover sports networks, how to cover things in other countries in time zones, I would say it's still like a really pretty deficient product outside of like the opening ceremonies, which I think people remember most or the couple of athletic highlight moments that, you know, highlight Americans or whatever host country you're from, I guess. But the the pattern is kind of similar and it's very, you know, obviously like human interest story stuff. And especially once you consider the Paralympics, but, you know, like a lot of people we organize with in, in, in Japan have like really harsh criticisms of the Paralympics as being like, you know, it, fundamentally ableist on so many levels and um i mean that's a whole other thing too but it's it's a tv show right like we all know that like nbc is saying i think what's his name jeff shell is that is that his name um he's saying that like this is probably going to be nbc universal's like most profitable olympics and it's gonna be the most depressing one on camera i think but like all the corporate contracts are, are like going to be satisfied all the deliverables will be delivered by like july 23rd slash whatever like that's it's not conspiratorial to say that that's what this is about that's what even the mainstream fucking like business insider coverage is saying like that's why these things are going forward even the athletes are having a hard time swallowing this in a lot of cases so it's it's like everything else it's the stupidest most direct answer it's money it's all the other stuff is just pr to us like the sports is incidental it, it would be whatever you know it would be you know, they're, they're talking about sagging into like, you know, uh, e-games by 2028. And, um, that, that's like, that, that's, they'll do it. They don't, they don't care about the sanctity of whatever the classical, (laughs) you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's whatever. I I guess it's mostly like the, the sponsorships and shit, right? Like the McDonald's deals, the merchandising deals, all that stuff. Cause I, cause even like the ratings were going down the past few years, right? From what, from what I understand. Yeah, and that's something I can never tell because I'm I'm not an expert on that stuff. But with a lot of those things, I don't know how much of that is like unaccounted for for online or whatever. But you know, there's you know, it's not unpopular, but it's it, it requires this like multi billion dollar multi continent operation to keep it. Like it's very similar to the NCAA and other institutions. I think that like formed in the late 1800s, like reconstruct, you know, post-reconstruction era kind of like America and these offered these new forms of exploitation. And I think people are rethinking at least some of these things and they're all kind of tied together. Um, That doesn't mean any of them are going to go away tomorrow, but the Olympics seem weaker than the institution of American policing or um, a lot of these things. So it it feels like an interesting, not to jump to that, but um, you know, we have, Beijing 2022 around the corner and you know I think for people on the left and us that's still like going to be very interesting and difficult to navigate because you're going to have all this you know western american you know xenophobic xenophobic energy for the wrong reasons and some of the criticisms will be like maybe you know ish right and you know our goal is to connect the fact that like oh you see think Tokyo is fucked up and Beijing is fucked up and like but also look at LA, look at what they're trying to, they're, they're, you know, they're putting a bid in Australia right now and for 2032 and they're looking at Vancouver for 2030 and we're talking to all these folks, but 
their anti they're very undemocratic like bidding process that they you know used to do is thrown out the window now because they know it's that's the weird part it's historically unpopular even before covid they were still struggling to have more than one city or in the entire world say we want to vie for this slot so it's like you know but at the same time the tokyo olympics are going to almost definitely happen this summer i think that's that that tension that like rings you know that echoes in a lot of other places in society right now you're like like the housing crisis across america like how does how is this gonna like last how is this gonna like actually keep going how is it or how are they going to evolve and one of their big evolutions on the olympic side is they're saying hey we're not going to build any more you know stadiums we're going to use previous you know things that already exist that are probably already displacing people they won't take credit for all the hotel development that happens around them like that's not a part of the olympic budget or plan even though it clearly is um they're going to say these are privately financed like in la's case or in vancouver's case however the second it goes over budget it's all on the public taxpayer right like in some ways corporations have to front a little bit more money but they know they're going to get that back all olympics go over budget so even if they didn't go over budget, we would say that this Olympic bid in LA started in like 2014. That's like already seven or eight years of like a lot of city officials, like entire staff's time. Like that, we'll never get that back. Plus another seven years, plus whatever the fallout is. Yeah, because they spend millions making the bid, right? Like like they, they put down millions to the taxpayers just for the opportunity to ask to host the Olympics. Right, in most cases. And so, and I think our, the LA bid is a, you know, because we were originally bidding for 2024 and then Boston was like the American front runner. And then they had a really successful campaign that brought up a lot of good things. They had the media support, they had some political support, you know, like some um inside support and that they ran it out but with with our bid that's just not the case anymore they don't have any sorts of checks and balances but but they said oh we're not gonna the public isn't gonna pay for the bid right so casey wasserman so that we have a shitbag mayor who's about to be named like biden's ambassador to india eric garcetti you probably heard of him in the last year um we've been on his ass for a while so he's the public official that pushed the LA 2028 Olympics, which is basically what he was trying to pull a Mitt Romney. And he has very similar politics to Mitt Romney, who, quote, fixed the budget of the Salt Lake Games and then kind of used that to, like, get onto the the national um, the national scene. So the, the private sector guy financing the LA 2024-2028 bid was this guy, Casey Wasserman. And he said he because he, he knows that, like, public financing of stadiums and these kind of bids is like kind of going out of fashion in the last few years. So he said, okay, I'm going to call. And he said this in the press. He's like, oh, I'm going to make a few phone calls. He raised $60 million. So that was their marketing budget and blah, 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 travel budget. But uh, he even said in an LA Times article that he used one of his own, you know, like he owns many companies and I can touch on that in a second. And one of them is a media company. He said, you know, they got, I think, a million or two contract out of that $60 million, But he apparently wasn't in the room that day he re- he stepped out of the room that day which i'm sure everyone believes um, <laughs> so on paper they they claim it's privately financed and some of that is true however when eric garcetti from i think 2016 to 2017 maybe even in 2015 i'm not sure but they had to fly to switzerland lima peru so on and so forth to court the Olympic bid, you know, you have to go through these rounds. It's like a debutante ball kind of 
fraternity situation. And what the LA, yeah, I think it was an LA Times uh, journalist found out that like, oh, LAPD was on all those trips. And that's actually like, that's city money. Like that's, that's LAPD overtime. You know what I mean? Like, and they've never come forward to say how much that is. So even on paper, it is still not true that like, oh, we're paying for this in so many different ways. But like any other issue, getting a person to slow down and just like pay attention to it. And once they do, the research we've done with anecdotally and more formally has just shown that there's so many reasons to be against this. And most people, I think, recognize that they will not benefit from this. Japan's estimated budget was $7.5 billion, which already seems like a lot because part of their thing was, oh, yes, we already have some of the stadiums built, right? Their final budget is right uh, as, as of February was $35 billion. Nothing else in society, I think, no, could cost five times as much to the taxpayers as they expect. And people are just expected to take it and everybody keeps their jobs. In fact, they get to put it on their resume that they hosted, the, brought the Olympics to Tokyo. And it's a pattern that's happened before and it's going to happen again. Like, how do they, how the hell do they keep getting away with this? Um, specifically the, the IOC, because they're, they are such a, like a scandalized uh Organization. I remember a couple of years ago, weren't they all like supposed to be going to jail for you know for like dirtbag shit, like I like like Hunter Biden shit, right? Like they were all pulling, but they're somehow are still surviving. I know the bidding process isn't as you know intense as it used to be, but like, are they actually getting kind of close to falling apart with you know how mismanaged the Tokyo Japan Olympics has been and this coming resistance to the LA Olympics? No, you're totally right. It's like something in some ways that a lot of people have accepted, like FIFA, even though I think in the past people have referred to FIFA because they're both based in Lausanne, Switzerland, and like they're both equally unaccountable and based on like dark, you know, Swiss fucking Nazi gold. Like that's that's what we're talking about. Like Henry Kissinger is literally like an honorary IOC member, so he gets paid more than athletes to go like fall asleep in the stands. Um it's bad. <laughs> People know it's bad. People are going to know it's really bad this year. And yet just it's kind of like so many other institutions that have these like third, fourth, fifth, you know, Frank, like Freddy Krueger just keep coming back because the marketing money can keep pushing and just having a Simone Biles come back for one last chance or this or that or, you know, or one one more narrative, one more sports narrative and uh, can it's still really powerful people, especially in America and especially in LA where exceptionalism runs so high, even though we're one of the most like deficient, incapable, I think cities on the planet um, in so many different categories for the amount of wealth that's here. It's like, we're so incapable. So the idea that we could pull off anything, let alone improving bus routes, which we probably won't do by 2028. In fact, the opposite because of like the Olympics, you know, it's just like really insulting to people, I think, who live here and care. And um, I, I don't know. The, the speaking like normally, yes, it's like it's just a revolving door at the IOC, but something interesting recently. So there's the IOC, the International Committee. There's like a hundred of them. That's like the I'm struggling for that. There's a good sci fi like analogy here. I can't put it like that's like this, like the ruling council, maybe the Jedi. I don't know. They're like up there, like that elite class. And then there's 
every nation has its own NOC, which is its national organizing committee. And, um, and, and it's, and it's spread out so that there's just very little accountability and, um, on the Japanese side. So there's the JOC who's been, they're the ones quote unquote responsible for organizing Tokyo 2020. Um, earlier this year, the head of it got stepped down because he called the famous uh, entertainer, the Olympic. Um, and he was, you know, like people came at him, they're like, that's really misogynist, et cetera, et cetera. And he was replaced by a woman who had also had a scandal at the Sochi 2020 or the 2014 Olympics rather, um, where I, she had allegedly sexually harassed an athlete. I don't know how true that is, but it was, that was what was coming up in the news, like the day after when she was appointed. Um, the, this is less funny, obviously, um, the head of the accounting department of the, the JOC, I think it was two or three weeks ago, um, jumped in front of a train because it's been reported that there's a connection between that and a, and a whistleblower that came forward two days, two days before, um, about like wonky stuff going on in the budget, which is still $20 billion over budget. So that's something that like was a big news story for a day internationally and then just fell off. So there's a lot of like wild stuff, like everything from the last year and a half that we're still just kind of catching up on and like, it's really, there's like every sorts of kind of issue you can imagine, I think, are happening in this Olympics. Um, you mentioned uh, Simone Biles and, you know, getting to see her one last time. And you mentioned earlier about how the four-year cycle is one of the most horrific things you could possibly do to an athlete. Athlete, for anybody who actually fo who follows sports outside of um, the Olympics, like, Testing the athletes only every four years, only uh, stage only every four years, basically is like asking them not to have a career almost, or at least not to have a career uh, on camera. Cause it's like, that's just such a long time between like these athletes being spotlighted and you, you age, you get, you, it's a young, every sport is a young person sport more or less. And so it actually is like very anti-athlete to only talk about them every four years and to set up certain sports to basically have to operate on that, you know, sort of level. Oh, yeah, especially gymnastics, which they always use as like, you know, the flagstone of, of the Olympic broadcast. Uh, the whole sport is abusive. You're taking underage people and, you know, essentially warping their bodies forever for the promise of brief Olympic glory. Um, and obviously, there's been a lot of uh, issues with Team USA and the abuse scandal. So one of the most fucked up things about the Team USA recovery narrative is this idea that these gymnasts who were abused by Team USA, then they have to go back and like win the gold for Team USA who abused them. It's like completely insane if you think about it for just one second. Yeah, it's, it's just, you know, gym gymnastics are interesting, you know, you know. I used to wrestle and that's a similar, does similar stunting things to uh, a, a developing child body. And I think gymnastics in the era that I grew up in, I've seen, you know, kind of how it's developed and other people who follow that sport, I think close, much closer than I do have also admitted that like, like so many, whether it's, you know, high contact sports that really drive you to break your body and an especially early age and slash maybe mind in a lot of situations, um, both literally or, you know, 
and obviously the, the Larry Nassar stuff was, was big in the news and throwing him in jail for forever is like, I think satisfactory to like the kind of mainstream media and, and, and but, um, one of the, one of the coaches, you know, killed himself earlier this year because he was going to go down for sexual trafficking, uh, charges. And, and, and it's not just gymnasts, obviously it's like all these sports, like equestrian swimmers all across LA. It's like boxing, um, like it, it doesn't even, it's not even gender specific. It's like these unaccountability uh, systems are just go so deep and they go so local yeah, in a way that you're and, not, I think you're aware of. And I think when it's a sport that is a little bit marginalized within sports, something that you people think they only can see during the Olympics, it's like, it's just completely fucked up. They're like, okay, like this is like women's empowerment that you get to watch ice skating like once every four years. And like, again, we don't need the Olympics to show women's sports or to show sports that aren't, you know, men's team sports, which are the only thing that really gets gets covered in depth um, and making it seem like the Olympics are the only opportunity to, to for people to have these sports as part of how they avoid accountability. Yeah. And the scarcity, I think, creates more exploitation on all these levels being like, you have to do it. This might be the only change you have in your life. Yeah. It's very like representation matters and don't think about if you're being exploited as long as you get to like represent. Yeah, another through line is just the Olympics create artificial deadlines. So like we focus more on the city side, but that happens to the athlete and all this other stuff. Like I guess all these things are contrived if you really break it down, but there's no reason this couldn't happen actually more regularly with more accountability, with more like... With an athlete-owned league or something, yeah. a non-exploitative system. The Olympics make it seem like the only way to have global sports competition is the Olympics. And that is not true. They are That's just we, a traveling carnival that exploit cities and grift people. They're packagers. They're, like, if you want to bring it back to media, like they're just packagers. They're like, we have all these other sports and we have this old brand from 2000 years ago that we've rebooted like a French, like fucking Baron. Like they don't, <laughs> they don't, you know, just going back to all that lefty shit. It's like in, in the past, like in between the world wars, like, there was a really concentrated worker driven um, they, they did alternatives to the games. They did like actual quote unquote, what they would call amateur or what we would call, I guess, amateur games. Now people that, you know, full time do something else and aren't like lay aristocrats um, kind of how the NCA defines like amateur as well. But like they had um, in Chicago, I believe um, I'm a little bit rusty on these details um and in a couple cities in europe and in one case i think it was the la one in 32 they had i believe more people at the alternative games than the other ones and obviously it wasn't well covered in media but it is documented it's not just you know a fucking rumor it's like these things happen and i think the world wars and the other you know the, the machinations against the left globally and in america have really kind of quelled those things and one of the you know to to be real for like one set you know one second, it's like one of the problems since the 80s and, you know, LA had the Olympics in the early 80s. Uh, and that was the one that really like accelerated the the sponsorships, the McDonald's. That was the first one to have all these sponsorships to make up for a debt that they had accrued. And uh, not saying we wouldn't have gotten there eventually. They just like, they made it happen here. And, and, and in that era too, it's like labor has really been, unfortunately, on the side of the Olympic project in general in America and, and elsewhere. Because this is a tenant-driven thing, too, as well. And, you know, an abolition-based project, too, that is still kind of, like, unreconciled a little bit. And that's a whole other probably several hours of conversation about 
how that works out, but you know, we're, we're, we're kind of seeing it all here. And, but there is a rich history of opposing these things cause it's fucked up, but like everything, a race that's good in American history, uh, you know, it's like you rely on podcasters or leftists or other people, or academics or whatever movement people to kind of like be like, Oh, this thing happened in your city. You know, you have to rem- remember that this happened. And, and to be clear with all these issues, obviously, it's like we're not saying that the Olympics creates environmental degradation or police militarization or displacement. It just really accelerates these things and creates kind of like a, re- a reverse shock doctrine. It's like you're planning a hurricane in your city in eight years. And so you're going to create this state of exception to like do things maybe would have happened, but maybe not as easily um, as if, if it would have had the, the Olympics. So. You know, LA is, the, I think, the capital of homelessness and unsheltered, you know, like living and houselessness. Uh, we have, I think, by last count, we have 66,000 unhoused people in the county. That's probably an understatement. That's where this this work was born out of, I think, the LA Tenants Union, to give them a shout out, and a partner of ours. Their definition of a tenant is anyone who's not in control of their housing. So that's a renter, that's an unhoused person, that's someone who's incarcerated. All of these people are the, the biggest targets for LA 2028 because it means more Airbnbs. We were out in Venice today campusing because Airbnb is now official partners with the Olympics for the next decade oh, through LA 2028. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So it's just like, it's just, just, it's just stacking things on top of you, stacking all these forces on top of each other. Um, we're going to see, you know, an Echo Park in late March, and this is a lot of my both organizing work and work work at the time for, for now, for the next year is studying what happened at Echo Park Lake, which there were about 200 unhoused people that were, you know, which is close to where Jack lives. Um, he was out there for all that stuff too. Um, you know, they had about 400 LAPD officers. It was a horrible kind of 48 hour ordeal. Um, no Olympics was born from a DSA housing and homelessness committee in 2017, which is also where street watch came from, which I think, you know, along with ground game LA, uh, did a lot of the, um, supporting of the organizing there as the encampment grew. And even before COVID, like there was some solid work between housed and unhoused tenants happening then and bridging these gaps. That is the new model. So these people were cleared in a really violent way. Um, we were out in Venice today where the boardwalk is another big site of a lot of encampments and displacement and Airbnbs and all these things are, t- you know, this is the tourist zone for the 2028 Olympics. And um, that's the new model. We have a big uh, of like mass displacement. And, you know, the person who started that, Mitch O'Farrell in CD13 at Echo Park Lake, he is the head of the Olympic Committee, you know, in LA. We don't think that's a coincidence. The other guy who's really pro-Olympics is former LAPD. He's a Democrat. He just announced he's running for mayor. I mean, we've known he's running for mayor, but he just dropped his uh, campaign video the other day. It looks like a a really corny like pawn stars like opening kind of credit sequence campaign and he's we're in this we're in the 80s again obviously and it feels really stupid and like we're rebooting the 80s in so many ways and the olympics makes all of these fights a lot harder because it puts liberals or maybe not super active people or squishy people in the middle in like an uncomfortable situation and would make them help clear out a park more easily if they have this on their back so that's really what this is about is like protecting and trying to like stop more people from dying, even though we know that stopping the Olympics is not going to, that's not the end all be all either. There, there are broader goals for this group. So if you, if, if you're on that side, get down with us, you know, follow us. We're at no Olympics LA on all the, on all the different platforms and whatever. And we'll let you know when there's opportunities. If you're out here, you know, 
we're all volunteer. We don't require on, you know, we're not a nonprofit even like if you want to chip in even remotely, we got really used to that obviously because we, we work internationally, like, you know, drop us a line, no at no Olympics LA and, uh, or just, you know, you know, just, just boost our shit, you know, like just get down with it or just, just like tell people, you know, why the Olympics are bad. Most people don't yes. know. And then when you explain it to them, it's pretty easy to explain. And they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And we're also like, not just <laughs> yeah. like watch, watch the Olympics if you want. It's going to be a fucking really dark one this year. Like actually like lean into that and like do, hey, do what you notice want. For the first time, how weirdly fascist the NBC coverage of the Olympics is. And has always been, you know what I mean? And and so, you know, get down with us. We'd, we'd love to hear from anyone. Uh, if you've, It just hits so many different areas of, Especially like, unfortunately, of, your, of, like, of, yeah. of, of, like, both civic life, you know, like, living in a city and also just pop culture. It, that's one of the benefits of talking about it because everyone knows what it is. Unfortunately, everyone knows what it is. And so it, it, it requires a lot. And I, I think this year people are probably more skeptical of nationalism, even people who might normally be, be marks for the type of nationalism espoused by the Olympics are a little more skeptical, skeptical because of how bad the vaccine rollout was everywhere. Um, because people saw rich people escaping while everybody else was kind of left to their own devices. Um, so I think the sort of expectation they have that people will just fall in line when they see like these flags and all the fascist Lenny Riefenstahl type imagery that goes with the Olympics. Um, and I don't know that people will anymore. Yeah. On, on, just on a quick note, they, they still said it's cool to fly the Imperial flag in Japan this year. So I don't know if we're going to see that out, oh, out this year, no. but they, they got the go ahead. So that's like, nothing's changed. You know what I mean? So the state of exception of COVID is still kind of lingering in this weird thing we're in so you know all power to the people in fucking japan from all sectors of life you that's the interesting thing about japan too is like it's activated like nurses doctors teachers students you know people outside even just like your normal quote tenants and abolitionist groups and so yeah nobody uh, wants athletic exceptionalism more than like their own health you know yeah and it, it, it just makes it bare. So, we, you know, we, we love any opportunity. If, if anyone else wants to have us on, let us know. We want to we wanna talk about this while this is in the air. We'll probably do some sort of live stream once the games are going to kind of mystery science, you know, bummer, bummer it out. <laughs> bummer summers. All right. So, Molly, tell me about Molly's sweet friends. Oh, that's just my Patreon. I make I make mixes every month. Um, the July mix is going to be late this month because uh, my computer's in the shop. But I made a Miami-based June mix that was probably a little bit premature and really more of a July mix anyway. So please I check know, it, it out. I know it's pretty bass heavy. Oh. I checked it out. It was pretty bass heavy. That's, <laughs> that's definitely a summer in Florida. Well, I was mix. just like, what do I want to listen to? Like getting back out into the world, and it was like Miami bass. Well, it's only summer until after July 4th when it's fall, yes, right? That's and then the we have Kate, to segue into fall. That's the Kate Raft guarantee is July 4th is the last day of summer and then it becomes <laughs> Halloween season, So, which I agree with completely. Yeah, support Molly's Suzy friends. Do you want to, do you want to talk yeah, to Heidi? Yeah, I'm going to have a podcast coming out this fall called Heidi World uh, about Heidi Fleiss, the Hollywood madam uh, from the 90s. And that'll be a lot of oh. fun municipal corruption Los Angeles history. All the fun LA stuff. LA Times, LAPD, all the same oh, fucking dirtbags. Oh, yeah. All the same dirtbags who are associated with the Olympics. True crime that isn't pro-cop. Yes. That's, crime, that's the brand. True crime that's pro-sex work and anti-cop. Hell yes. You have to come back and talk to us about that. 
For sure, yeah. And thanks for having us on Struggle Session. We, we love the show. Yeah, big fans, big fans. For Molly, for Johnny, this is Leslie. Struggle Session, signing out. Peace. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.